Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm speaking with Oakland-based documentary filmmaker Alex Blair. Welcome to the program, Alex. Thank you so much, Lisa. This film, Farmer Veteran, can you just give us a brief synopsis of what's this about? Yes. So it is about uh, one man who comes back from three tours in Iraq and starts a farm in rural North Carolina with his girlfriend, Jessica. And then things are not what they seem to be as the film goes on. What drew you to examining a veteran? Let's talk about your subject. Yes. Alex. Yes. I actually did a farm program at UC Santa Cruz, and I met a veteran who had fought in Iraq down there, and he had some amazing things to say about the connection between being a soldier and being a farmer. And so when I was in North Carolina and I met this man that becomes the main character of our film, my mind was primed to be curious about how can your experience in war translate once you become a civilian again and what are what are ways we can support our veterans as they transition back into civilian life? And my, my dad went to Vietnam and never, never, never talked about his experience. And I think there was a seed in me that was curious. Did you grow up in North Carolina? No, I grew up in Chicago. Okay. I grew up in Chicago, but I moved to North Carolina for a job in documentary work and then being part of the farm community. And I worked for a farming nonprofit. And that's how I met our main character was through that work. And I thought, this is so interesting. Well, he's so perfect. Three tools. Three tours in Iraq. Afghanistan is less clear. That is part of the story that kind of unravels in this film is as we are trying to understand his PTSD and what happened to him in Iraq and what it is to come back from combat. We start learning a lot about how the stories we tell ourselves is a part of coping with trauma. It sounds like it's mostly about the mental health issues that this 1.2 million Mm -hmm. veterans in the United States come home and suffer from. Right. Absolutely. And that wasn't our intention. We thought we were making a short film about how great farming is for veterans. And the more we gained trust and built relationship with the veteran and his wife, the more we kind of dove deep into the world of mental health, especially of these most recent wars. Half of all farmers will retire in the next decade. And the biggest number of returning veterans are from agriculture areas where most people are unemployed. Mm -hmm. So it's this perfect juxtaposition of solving two of our greatest challenges in the United States. And I still believe in that greatly. What I learned is that you cannot take someone who has no background in farming, give them some land, give them some money, and expect that they're going to be okay. Like we have to have community support, not only for our veterans, but for our farmers. I mean, farming is one of the hardest jobs that exists. That's why the USDA, it's beginning farmer qualification is 10 years or less. Like you work 10 years at any other job, you are going to be an expert, but you're still a beginner in farming and like all the things you can't control whether, you know, the seeds, the insects, the especially if you're doing it organically, like there's so much that you are up against. And if you are not being supported either with mentorship or with community support or with classes, it's another kind of battle. I wanted you to talk about Alex a little bit. He got injured. 
And what was the outcome of that? He did get injured um, in his first tour in Iraq. And I think it's important to say he was diagnosed with PTSD after his first tour and sent back two more times after being diagnosed with PTSD. This is pretty common. We've learned from making the film, it is really common. And I think it's part of having a volunteer military is that if you are short on people, you send people back that maybe shouldn't be going back if they have very severe trauma experience. So, I mean, we dove into that world with Alex of understanding more deeply, like, what is the toll our modern experience with war takes on these young men and women and mostly coming from rural areas, mostly, you know, enticed to be able to go to college or serve their country or get or out have of employment the, or have employment. Yeah. Like if we could support our farmers so that it was like they were level of rock star, you know, that's what I always say. Like we exist because they're growing food. Like nothing is more direct connection than that. And yet the stakes are stacked against farmers in so many ways. Yes. This guy that you interview, this veteran, he had both of his legs blown off and he has titanium legs. Is that correct? You will need to see the movie to find out if that is true or not. Okay. The reason I'm being cagey is I think the film explores a lot of in experience of trauma and uh, especially in experience of PTSD, the stories that we tell ourselves about what happened to us, whether we're a soldier or a rape victim or someone else in some kind of trauma, stories are how we survive and get through. But then there's a certain point where stories we tell ourselves may be causing harm also. If you think of a man like our main character, who his whole life has wanted to go to serve and being a soldier is the ultimate thing you can be and being the perfect soldier. Like just think of our mainstream media, like we glorify war and snipers and everything from, you know, World War II movies to now. And so if you are removed from that world, you need to understand like you need a new story of your self-identity and so stories of like the ultimate strangeness or massive event I think are ways that you cope. You did a Kickstarter campaign to get this going and you had this intention to tell this story and so midway through you uncovered a completely different story about this man. And I think this is very true of documentary film. You know, of course, the difference from fiction film, fiction film, you get to control the entire story start to finish and documentary, you're dealing with real human lives over a very long time. Like this is the sixth year since this started. We were filming for about two years very, very consistently humans have messy complicated strange lives and I think any documentary you never know when you start what it will be at the end but in this one specifically that was startling and my team the team I work with is amazing they started as dear friends the other director with me is Jeremy Lang D.L. Anderson is the producer Michael Barton associate producer and this amazing editor Nina Menir. we just held a really safe terrifying vulnerable space to think about oh my god what what has just happened. This is totally different than we thought we were going to make. How do we go forward honoring that change and also, which I think is so important, communicating it to the people you're making a film about. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today I'm speaking with Alex Blair. She's the director of a documentary film called Farmer Veteran, airing next week on PBS. It examines the challenges veterans face when they return to civilian life after Iraq and Afghanistan. 
I mean, it is an enormous privilege and burden to be responsible for someone else's story. So how did you? It must have added time and money. on. Yes, yes. Documentary filmmaking is not a glamorous, high-paying job. So what did you have to do? We had the amazing privilege and opportunity to be part of ITVS, which is Independent Television Service, which you apply to them through a grant process, and they're a branch of PBS, and then they come on as your co-producer if you get it. So did they come on with your previous story? No, they, they came, came on, on after came you on learned after. the surprises. Okay. I mean, and we were all, Jeremy and DL, our dads, uh, I was in grad school, we were all working other jobs like this. This was in the most purest form, a labor of love. Like we went out in our free time when we could. We borrowed gear. You know, we used very old technology compared to, you know, what is available nowadays. So it was absolutely a shoestring doing it out of the love of it. And then once we got ITVS, which would be the path to getting on Independent Lens next week on PBS, they they gave us the money for all our post-production. Did you start a production company? Actually, it's part of the origin story is I had met... Alex Sutton, our main character, through my job outreaching to farms. Around the same time, DL was starting a Skillshare collective because in that part of North Carolina, like Durham, Chapel Hill, there are a lot of documentary makers. So DL, DL had the idea to basically trade skills and support each other. I showed up with this idea to make a film about a farmer veteran. Jeremy, the other director with me, was working in a, a beautiful photography project about veterans, soldiers coming home. So the three of us hooked up and then to make this story. And then out of that, DL with Michael founded um, Vittles as a production company. So you don't have to go to school to make a film. It might make some things easier, but you can definitely learn learn along the way. But it was a challenge and a challenge. They are dear friends and people I care about deeply, but you have multiple creative ideas. I would say at times that was a challenge. of, And, and that comes with great trust and I think patient work over time, that we could make space, that we could hear each other's thoughts, challenge when we wanted to challenge or suggest other ideas, especially when the huge twist came in the story. That was a a deeply emotional and vulnerable place to have invested so much time, so much personal money, deep sacrifice of, you know, social connections and friendships to make this film out of nothing. So there were some very, some very hard times of really believing that we were making something that was worth it because it's easy to be discouraged. You were also in a bunch of festivals and you got a lot of great accolades and awards. I think one of the lessons learned is it's worth your money to get a publicist because (laughs) we were pretty much, you know, nobody's, none of us had ever worked on feature films before ever. And we were all coming from backgrounds different than filmmaking. And only our producer had taken any classes in filmmaking. So this was kind of diving off the deep end, not knowing what we were getting into. But we had lots of success, um, especially in the Southeast, being a film out of the South, out of North Carolina. And I think that might be part of it is, is having that connection to place and issues of veterans in rural areas is, I mean, is across our entire country, but in the southeast is definitely um, it is a very real issue that I think people face, and and lot of lots of military families again everywhere, but lots of them in the southeast. What are some of those groups or people that you met, and what are they saying we need to do? We're um, informally partnering with a lot of groups that look at the trauma side of it, and also the side of the burden that comes onto caregivers, like the people that love 
the veteran that is suffering from trauma and talking about what it is to live with someone with that kind of trauma. So we had recently in Oakland, we did a screening and we had um, Dr. Broder, who works with a group called Horse Sensing in the Bay Area that does equine horse therapy with veterans. There's a lot of groups that do animal therapy, fishing therapy, wilderness therapy. There's a group called Vetscape that is started by a veteran that is almost like outdoor adventure for veterans. And the VA, the few VAs that we've connected with, there's an amazing man named Dr. Ku at the Arkansas VA in their mental health department who said that this film is like like the film for understanding PTSD and how it affects the veterans that are trying to integrate back into society. There's also the Farmer Veteran Coalition, and they do everything from having local chapters in, I don't know if it's every state, but also they do a lot of policy work to try to help veterans. Our biggest hope for this film is to ignite a new conversation the same that there's an urban-rural divide, and we saw that play out in our election, I think there's also a veteran-civilian divide. And, and I mean, I think of my community, and I only know one veteran as a friend. I think there's this massive yeah. disconnection between who serves in our wars and who doesn't. And then what is the responsibility for those of us that don't serve to understand the experience of those coming back? And that it's a very nuanced, complicated messy experience. I think one thing I learned about PTSD and trauma healing is it's not linear. Like you don't, there is no pill that you can take that things might make you feel a little better, but it's therapy work, it's group work, it's agriculture work. Like because trauma is so subjective, you have to find the thing that works for that person. And also like our main character's wife, Jessica, in the film, she says, it might get better. It might not. If it doesn't, you still have to live with that person and, and love them and support them and understand them. It bothers me that so many people with these issues also have access to a lot of guns. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's in the film. And I think that's another kind of human messy area is that his guns in Iraq was the single thing that kept him safe in many ways. So we shouldn't blame them for then as they need to seek safety, having a relationship with their guns. But again, it's that line of like, is it to their benefit to keep having a relationship with the guns? And that's one reason why I think agricultural life can be of benefit to veterans. What were some of the challenges you encountered besides the fact that the plot basically changed in making your first film? I mean, I think you touched on it before, Lisa, but I think money is a huge, huge challenge. Being newcomers, who you know makes a big difference. So if you don't know people, it can be it can be tricky to find, you know, find your way into festivals or things like that. Challenges with them, I mean, they they were so open and so brave. I think it's so brave to let someone make a film about you. I see it as a courageous, deeply compassionate act to to have your story hopefully make other lives better. And, mm-hmm. and in our conversations with them, that is what they hope for by laying themselves bare, including their darkness and their hardness, is that their story might make it better for other people. And so a challenge was continuing to communicate along the way 
they got sick of us, of course. I mean, you can't... You're basically living with these We're basically, people. yeah, mm-hmm. having a camera in their face. I mean, it would be Jeremy and I out there with, yeah. you know, saying, ignore us. and But, like, you can't ignore someone that's right there. I think one thing that frustrates me is when filmmakers say they're a fly on the wall. Like, you're never, ever a fly on the wall. You can do things to become more invisible to your, your people in your story, but you're always changing it because you're there with a camera filming what's happening. Does he come out to your screenings? He has not come out. He has seen the film. So a lot of people ask that, like, have they seen the film? What do they think? What do they think? I mean, they feel exposed. It feels like very personal things that are revealed to audiences, but they maintain. I mean, I still talk to them all the time. I talk to his wife very frequently, and I don't know if it made things better or worse. And I think that's, again, like a cross that the filmmaker has to bear in many cases is not really knowing, like, was it better that we asked them all these very difficult questions that a therapist might ask? When we started, we thought it was going to be a very quick, short film. So negotiating like, okay, a year has passed. We still want to be here. We still want to talk. We think the story is changing. We think it's going to be more about, you know, your trauma and and how it affects you. I mean, we did our best to be as transparent and communicative all the way as possible. But, you know, and also like I see photographs. I hate what I look like. Like I think that's a very human experience to like think you look one way and then see a film and you don't look the way, you know, you're not Rambo on film. And like because that came up a little bit of like discouragement of even just like the physical like I don't look like a movie star. And we're like, well, it's not it's not a Hollywood movie. You talk about the cocktail of drugs that he's on. Mm-hmm. And I have read a lot about veterans who they're given drugs when they're in service. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back, they continue to do drugs. And how does your character, Alex, feel about having to be on so many drugs? Yeah. When men and women are in service, they're under the Department of Defense, the DOD. And when they come back, they're under the Veterans Affairs, the VA. And the DOD and the VA, what I've read, is that they don't always talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So the treatment that the men and women are getting under the DOD while they're in combat, they are with extremely well-intentioned doctors doing the best they can to handle the situation at the time. So you say you can't sleep, you're given sleep meds, you're saying you have anxiety, which who wouldn't in combat, you're given anti-anxiety meds. Or you need to stay awake. Or you need to stay awake, or you need, I mean, whatever's going on, they're doing the best they can to treat them. And then they come back. And when you take things to just cope with really stressful circumstances, those aren't necessarily the same things you should be taking when you come back. But, and then you don't really have the departments talking to each other that well. And again, at the VA, for as much press as they've gotten, they are extremely dedicated people working at the VA to try to do their best to take care of veterans on not enough resources. And the other thing is most medicine that we have as civilians is tested in like data trials and controlled trials. Veterans as a as a group don't really want to wait around maybe having a placebo. Well, I know about a a trial they're doing. They're using psychedelics. Yes. And MDMA for veterans to see if it can reduce. And it's been really successful. The other thing, too, if you think about so much of the brain when it has to do with like depression or not sleeping or anxiety, 
it's very subjective. So the pill that might work for Bob does not necessarily cure PTSD in John, you know, for example. So I think that's one of the battles that we have to treat trauma and PTSD is is fine. There's no one size fits all. And that's one thing I learned a lot in making the yes, film. Yes, and it's very expensive Extremely to expensive. have that kind of individual attention. Absolutely. And individual therapy and diagnosis. Exactly. And I think for myself, like I use the Benadryl example, but when I take a Benadryl, I don't feel like myself. You know, it alters the way I feel in my body. In our main character, here is a man who for years and years has been on a mix of up to 15 different medications. He doesn't know who he is. Like who he is without those drugs, he has not met that person in years. And I think what is common in many veterans that are dependent on medication to wake up, to go to sleep, to not freak out, to whatever is the fear of unknowing what would happen if they stopped or were able to wean off. There is such a dependency. You make a good point there about years of this because you give the example that he joined up at the age of 17. And how old is he now? I'm making the film. We met him at 33. So a lot of years to be on drugs. And Afghanistan and Iraq are the longest wars we've ever had in United States history. With the least serving. With the least serving. Mm-hmm. That thus the repeated tours. You said you came out of radio and so my background is in college. I got involved in the student radio station and fell in love with it. And, and where was this? And this was at Brown University and back in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands. And I had a, a teacher I loved that suggested I try my hand at radio and I had listened to it like This American Life was early days and I loved that but I never thought it was something accessible to me and then once I got the mic in my hand like this world opened up to access people's stories and I love I love when you are limited to sound only and how you craft a story when all you have is sound I love that and I went on to work as a freelancer in making radio stories for different shows I worked for several years at the Center for Documentary studies in North Carolina uh, at Duke. It's part of Duke University. So I was a student of theirs for a couple years, and then I worked for them for a couple years. There was so much like short film starting online in about like 2011, 2012. I started really getting curious of pairing images with sound. The nonprofit I was working for, I was making some multimedia stories for them. And I think radio directly set me up to do film well. I mean, you have to learn new equipment, of course, and how to use a camera and lighting and speed and all those technical details. But the act of being an empathetic listener, learning how to ask good interview questions, uh, learning how to be comfortable in silence, like being able to anticipate your story, all those skills that you learn in audio production, that translated pretty easily into film. And if you mess up your sound, your film's ruined. Like you have to have good sound in film also. So I think the radio background helped prepare me. You have a great soundtrack on this film. Can you talk about how you went about getting the music and some right. of the original so, pieces. Yes. Um, so for people that don't make documentary films, uh, getting the licensing rights to music that is owned by other people can be extremely, extremely expensive and prohibitive. In the film, when you see or hear that music, it actually falls under what is called fair use law. And so because we did not 
choose that music. It was music that was happening in the scene, like Flow Rida's Low is a song that the veteran chose to have at his wedding. So we as filmmakers were not making any aesthetic decisions about it. It just happens in the life of these people. And that falls under fair use ruling. Now, if we had taken that song and we had chosen it and kind of played it over a scene, then we would have to pay for it. The song that is basically the theme song of our film, Jubilee, this beautiful, beautiful ballad sung by three incredible yes. singers. Um, Amelia Meath, who is Sylvanesso. Yes, she's and, Sylvanesso. And you use another woman who, they were both in Mountain Man. Yes, they were both Alexandra. That trio. Yes, yes, Mountain and Man. When I saw, how did you get Alice Gerard to yes, Alice. get involved in this Oh, man, and Alice well. is an incredible, incredible singer. I wish I had something to do with it. I didn't. It was our producer, D.L. Anderson. Saw out on the old railroad it's all out on the sea. It's all out on the old railroads, far as I can see. Swing it to Jubilee, Swing it One of his dear friends is this incredible man, Phil Cook, who is an incredible, incredible, like I can't say that word enough, musician and composer. He composed all the music in our film. Phil is like this sunshine that is connected to all these amazing musicians. He was in a, still is in a band, Megaphon, which is incredible band. He also has his own, own group called Phil Cook. producer DL who is raising his son with Phil Cook's son like they're best friends and through that connection Phil I think had the ideas of who would be the good singers for this and Amelia of um, Sylvan is Durham based when she's not touring her amazing music and Jubilee the rights it's so it's such an old song this Appalachian ballad that it had no copyright on it so we were able to have them sing it. What's coming up for you next? I am working on a new documentary feature film that I began a little while ago. I am very, very privileged to have gotten a California Humanities grant for it. So big props to the NEH. Want to support them to Let's exist, hope it stays. exist forever. And I'm a, a film house resident through the program SF Film that supports local filmmakers, both documentary and fiction. So I'm working on a story about 
89-year-old ex-Republican Congressman Pete McCloskey, who was a Republican um, under Nixon's administration and even ran against Nixon for presidency on an anti-war ticket. And he, with his wife, who is 30 years younger than him, they live on a farm outside of Davis, and they are mounting this very Don Quixotean quest to find people to run in 2018 to challenge politicians that are not being supportive of everything Pete and Helen believe in. Pete was a part of all our modern environmental policy. So he was part of the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act. He co-founded Earth Day. Like that was his baby. Who would think today, I mean, especially like my generation and younger, that it was under Republicans during Nixon that so much of our modern environmental policy and civil rights policy happens. So I'm I'm using this film to explore like what it is to be getting older and relevance and and to watch this thing that you built be taken apart and also the power of love like they've been together almost 40 years like how the people we love who love us influence our identity and our passion and our fight so I'm in pretty early production I'm right now trying to fundraise so I am doing it through grants right now I think one challenge and lesson learned with Farmer Veteran is that we in hindsight did our Kickstarter way too early way too early. We should have waited. We should have waited until we had grown a bigger awareness. We had amazing support and we met our goal. I think we even went beyond our goal. But it was mostly like family and friends that loved us. And I think, which of course is amazing. But I think if we had waited, we could have maybe had a, a bigger splash. And so that's one thing I'm taking with this new film is to maybe hold off a little while. There are incredible films out there that deserve love and money and attention. And it's a huge playing field. And the the pool of funding is so so tiny. So it's it's um I mean it's such a privilege to tell other people's stories, but to make a living at it is 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 pretty tricky. When can local people see this film on PBS? Yes. So we are so honored to have this film be on the show Independent Lens, which is an Emmy Award winning show on PBS. Independent Lens, you should double check your local listings, but I believe it's seven p.m. On Monday, Memorial Day, KQED, yes, so KQED, Memorial Day, May 29th, pretty sure it's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you will also be able to watch it online on KQED's channel online for, I believe it's two weeks, it'll be streaming there. If anyone has a question they want to ask you. Yes, please, please. We have a website. Um, It's the title of the film, Farmer Veteran, one word, farmerveteran.com. And if you, you can find out all the information there, but if you click on the screening button, we actually have set it up so that you can bring, you can host your own screening of Farmer Veteran in your own community. So we have everything set up and laid out to allow you to do that. So if you want to have a party in your backyard or you're a nonprofit and you want to host it for the veterans in your community, you can do that. FarmerVeteran.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll be back next Friday at noon.